Okay, funeral scientists, in the third October case report, we are going to examine a classic death that made us all just a little more cautious when we go to the beach, that of Sam Quint, the grizzled sea captain from the movie Jaws. Fun fact about the movie, one of the mechanical sharks gained the nickname Bruce after Steven Spielberg's lawyer, and I love the idea of this monster that terrorizes Amity Island being named Bruce, so I'm going to refer to the shark as Bruce for the rest of the episode. Sam Quint is a local shark fisherman who, motivated by the $10,000 reward for Bruce, takes his boat, the Orca, out into the ocean to hunt Bruce along with police chief Martin Brody and biologist Matt Hooper. Of course, Bruce ravages the ship, and while the Orca is sinking, Quint becomes entangled in the ship's line and is pulled towards Bruce's waiting maw and is devoured. Now, in the movie, there is nothing left of Quint, but let's just say his body does end up in your prep room. First of all, how likely is this to happen? Well, not very. In 2020, the worldwide total for both unprovoked and provoked shark attacks was 96, with an additional 32 that could not be assigned or were not confirmed. The U.S. led the world in unprovoked attacks with 33, three of which were fatal. There are three species of sharks that are most likely to attack humans. The first is the bull shark, which is considered a game shark in the southeastern United States and are found in coastal waters all over the world. It was a series of bull shark attacks in 1916 that inspired Peter eventually to write the book Jaws. The second species is the tiger shark. These are large sharks that are found in coastal waters all over the world and are the third most fish shark in the United States. Finally, number one is the great white shark, which was the model for Bruce in our story. They can grow up to be 20 feet in length and are responsible for the most unprovoked attacks on humans. So what happens when a shark attacks a human? There are three general types of attacks. The hit and run, the bump and bite, and the sneak attack. The hit and run attack is usually because of a case of mistaken identity when the shark attacks because of something provocative about the human, such as a shiny jewelry or a colorful swimsuit. These attacks usually result in the shark causing an injury to the leg before swimming off, never to return. The other two, bump and bite and a sneak attack, are responsible for more fatal injuries. The bump and bite occur when the shark bumps the prey before attacking it, likely because of the ampullae of Lorenzini, which are electroreceptors in the shark's head that allow it to sense prey. The sneak attack is exactly what it sounds like, an attack without warning. Bruce was guilty of perpetrating both in the movie. So in addition to the bites, we would have ourselves quite an interesting case with Quint. First of all, he died in the water and would spend some time there. As we learned in the Funeral Science Podcast, Decomposition, Episode Part 2, water is the main driver of decomposition. 
However, this is salt water. We often use salt to create a stronger solution strength in order to draw water out. As a result, the natural process of salt water in the body would leave us with waterlogged tissues and salt molecules blocking our capillaries. Any salt left behind post-embalming would continue to dehydrate, especially if we were able to remove the water. Oh, and don't forget the bacteria and other sea life decomposers that would continue to process if we didn't address them. Now for this episode's spooky listener question. What would a zombie apocalypse look like scientifically? Fortunately, we have some scientific research on this. The first is the Center for Disease Control Zombie Preparedness 101. In it, they give advice for a zombie preparedness kit and how to think about different disaster scenarios in your area. It also discusses how the CDC would conduct quarantining, lab testing, and assisting to hotspots, just like it would in any other disease outbreak. Further, scholars from Leicester University in England have conducted theoretical studies using the epidemiological SIR model. SIR stands for Susceptible, Infected, and Recovered. In a peer-reviewed paper published in the Journal of Physics Special Topics, this group of students from the University of Leicester calculated how long it would take for humanity to deal with a zombie apocalypse using this model. I will link to the press release in the show notes, but the major bullet points are Student studies suggest that 100 days after zombie infection spreads, less than 300 people would remain alive globally. After 100 days, human survivors would be outnumbered a million to one by zombies. Students worked on the assumption that a zombie would have a 90% probability of turning others into the undead. However, factoring in human killing zombies and human reproduction rates, world's population would eventually be able to recover. Regardless, to me, it doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. And now for something good that's happening. I am giving away free stuff for you to win. For about a year and a half, I've been looking at products in our everyday life that contain embalming chemicals, including formaldehyde. I call these embalming chemicals in the wild. Now I want to see what embalming chemicals in the wild you can find. If you need examples, you can check out my Instagram story highlights for the one that is labeled E-C-I-T-W. In order to enter, you must follow me on Instagram at Mortracker, M-O-R-T-R-A-Q-R, and post your embalming chemicals in the wild video using the hashtag, hashtag embalming chemicals in the wild, and tag me in your post by November 10th, 2021. We will hold a contest to find Instagram's favorite entry, and the winner will receive a free copy of Creating Natural Form, Restorative Art Theory and Application, and all participants will receive a free sticker prize pack. Okay, that's it for this episode. Do you have a question for me? You can email me at 
funeralsciencepodcast at gmail.com with the subject line, podcast question. Are you or someone you know doing something that promotes education, equality, or otherwise raises awareness about an issue in funeral service? Please send me information about it to funeralsciencepodcast at gmail.com with the subject line, a good thing is happening. As a note here, that has an exclamation mark in it, so be sure to include that in your subject line, and I will be sure to read it. You can also follow me on social media. I'm Mortracker on Instagram. That's M-O-R-T-R-A-Q-R. You can also like the Funeral Science Podcast Facebook page. I've also heard on other podcasts that if you rate and review podcasts you like, it helps them. So if you like this podcast then please do that wherever you are listening from. All right, everybody, I'll talk to you later.